0: The title of today's message will be, What's My Purpose? And obviously we'll talk about the resurrection. Uh, Angie always says, you know, it's it's resurrection day you're supposed to talk about. Well, everything we talk about is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we will mention the resurrection. But uh, just as the sovereign God would have it, uh, this is my third third time out of the last four years that I actually was privileged to speak on Resurrection Sunday. I pinch hit for Al in 2017 and I pinch hit for Al in 2018, I think because they had a death in the family and they had to go to Indiana. And then last year Al, Al spoke, uh, but he spoke on Colossians because we were going through Colossians at that time. So he didn't change and stop speaking on Colossians and go and do the Passion Week story out of the Gospels. He was in Colossians 3 last last year. And then now, uh, of course, he's been called home, so uh, just the rotation of the speakers fell for me to uh, get the privilege once again to speak on uh, Resurrection Sunday. So what's my purpose? But let's open in a word of prayer first. Father, we just thank you for who you are, Yahweh, the God of all gods, the creator. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our risen savior and what he's done for each and every one of us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given to us in this dispensation, who if we will get in your word and study your word under the leadance of the Holy Spirit, he will guide us into all truth. We pray that your word would go forth this day, not what man has to say about it. And we pray that each one of us here would have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. And before we get into what's my purpose, and we'll be in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews, and I did... Uh, I did. Uh, Tell Kelly that I would go back and sort of tie uh, tie up uh, my previous message. Uh, she a couple of weeks ago she emailed me or texted me or something when I was at my office and said she either missed part of the, or the message or whatever and was asked me a few questions. And since uh, the government considers my job essential. Uh, and my wife's job is all called, considered essential. I do go into the office. And I think John's, Giles' job is considered essential. I actually stole your uh, updated profile picture, John, about the brotherhood of uh, essential workers. He posted something on social media. I took it and sent it to all my kids and, and my son-in-law and daughters-in-law. Some of them got it. Some of them didn't. Some of them didn't appreciate it too much. But anyway. It's not that I'm making fun of COVID-19, but uh, anyway, basically, you know, the world, they say, you know, COVID-19's coming, you know, the virus is coming, and we go to all these great lengths, you know what I mean? I was telling Ken earlier, when we were out in between the Mark Sunday School lesson, when I was a kid growing up, me and my brothers, said, we, you know, you watch the old Jetsons cartoon show, or the... Star Trek's TV series, not all the movies they've done. And you'd think back then, in the 60s and the 70s, or if you're older than me, the 50s or, or whatever, for you know, we'd have flying cars and stuff in 2020, but here we are teaching people how to wash their hands properly. You know, wash them for 20 seconds. Make sure you get in between your fingers. You know, that's the, uh, but uh, I'm not making light of it. Obviously, there is a pandemic out there. Uh, But you know, you tell people Jesus is coming and they laugh at you. You think of Noah, right? Since I'm going to tie up the two floods in biblical history (laughs) real quickly. You think of Noah, how long did it take him to build the ark? And the whole time he was telling people judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Enoch before him. Remember, the New Testament said Enoch prophesied. So during his short time on earth before God took him, well, it really wasn't a short time, but God took him because he had that testimony. He walked with God, but he prophesied. But what did all the people of earth do during that whole time? The same thing now. You tell people Jesus is coming, which portends that judgment's coming. And even those in the church do we change the way we're living? Or do we take the second coming of Jesus Christ seriously? Because when I talk about, you know, I've tried to talk through the years since I've been introduced to the kingdom truths and you talk about the kingdom, the kingdom, and they just sort of look at you like, why well, do you keep talking about the," You know, we don't know. No man knows the day or the hour. You know, we don't know when God's, End time stuff's going well. If you get in this book, you would because days and hours are very specific points in time. But remember, he also chastised the religious leaders of the day because he said, Hey, you guys can understand the weather, but you don't understand the signs of the times. we are living in the last days and not just because there's a pandemic out there right now. Because it was all set in place in the first verses of Genesis. The six and seven days. The septenary arrangement of Scripture. And that's what I didn't get to because oftentimes I do run out. Well, about every time I get up here, I run out of time. So, and Mark knows that feeling, uh, Ken does, Mark even on Wednesday nights when we, I zoomed in, I tried to zoom in the first week, Mark, but then there had some spiral on my screen and it was just spinning, then I got called away to some errand or whatever, and by the time I got back it was pretty much over, but but I did zoom in on uh, Wednesday night uh, with Mark's teaching, but uh Basically, all we need to talk about, go to Genesis chapter 8, and we'll wind that down real quickly. The uh, the last message was, uh, remember, when it rains, it pours, but, and we talked about there being not just the no- Noachian flood, but there's two floods, <clears throat> because remember, obviously, uh And this will tie into this message too, for what's my purpose? But God flooded the earth the first time because who brought sin into his universe, his world, his universal kingdom? Satan. Satan sought to exalt himself and wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like the Most High. He wasn't satisfied with just this earth, that part of the, God's universal kingdom that he was set over as one of the original messianic ruling angels in God's governmental setup. And Mark on Zoom you know, is trying to complete uh, what he started when uh, Alan had asked him uh, to go through you know, Heiser's book on the unseen realm. And uh, we were doing a word study Wednesday night, and he was talking about the, the different council meetings, and we was talking about Psalm 82, Psalm 89, 1 Kings, and, and there was another passage that slipped my mind. Daniel, that where you see a council, council meeting of those gods we were talking about in Heiser's book. Also, Job. Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. Right? It said in the course of time, God held a congress or a council meeting, and Satan came because he was one of the ruling angels, right? And he had to give an account to God of what was going on in his part of now. He's still the God of this age, is he not? (laughs) Because. He's still ruling until that one that is going to take his place takes the throne. And you see that in Saul and David in the Old Testament. He's a rebel ruler, but he is still the God of this age over this earth with his rebel rulers, that his subordinate angels that follow him in his rebellious act. But then, when we flooded it again in Genesis, because mankind was wicked, (laughs) then we see uh, chapter 8 of Genesis, the very first verse, and we'll tie this up and get on to the other message. Because see, in Genesis 1, we see how God restores a ruined creation. And at that time... The pattern was set. The type was set. New Testament Greek, Tupos, which in Ken's last message, he talked a little bit about types and anti-types. The pattern was set, and it was set perfectly because God doesn't do anything imperfectly. So the pattern was set. And how did he restore ruined creation? In Genesis 1, it says the spirit moved, God spoke, and light came into existence. So how do you think he restored the earth in Genesis 8 after the second flood? Genesis 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth. Now, in a lot of the English translations, it says wind there, but that's the Hebrew word, and I'm probably not pronouncing it right, but ruach, R-U-A-C-H, and I didn't use all the guttural stuff. It sounds like you're whatever, but anyway. That's also the Hebrew word for spirit. So it would be better translation because if God restored the earth and set the pattern in Genesis 1, then the way he restores the earth after the second flood follows that pattern in exact detail. So really it should say, and he caused the spirit. The spirit moved over the earth or over the waters just like Genesis 1 because the pattern was set. The Spirit moved, God spoke, and now He didn't restore it exactly like He did because remember in Genesis 1, He moved a lot of the waters above. We had that canopy that created that pseudo-greenhouse effect, which Mark was mentioning in his uh, Sunday school lesson. That'll be the same way that He restores the earth after the tribulation for us to... Dwell, the, the earth dwellers, you know, during the Messianic area. The earth will be put back in in somewhat of an Edenic state, obviously, and men will live for much longer periods of time again, right? Just like they did before the flood. But he restored it. He moved the waters differently this time, but he still, and when two things come to mind is that in rest, in the, in Restoring a ruined creation, it's divine intervention. If God didn't act, right? If God didn't act, we'd still be in our sins. Divine intervention and death and shed blood. That's redemption. It's set in Genesis chapter 1 and it doesn't change because I am the Lord I change not or or in Hebrews of Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever so when God sets the pattern perfectly he's not going to change So Kelly, I hope that was somewhat helpful. I didn't get to it, but I hope that ties it up and you can do your own further studies about the two floods. Because then after that, he gave us the sign of the bow in the clouds, the rainbow. And he is never again going to destroy the earth by means of a worldwide flood. So all the... Global warming and the ice caps melting and flooding the Earth. that's not how it's going to go down, because God said that's not how it's going to go down. What's my purpose, title of the message? And you know, you say, "God, what's, what's the purpose of this pandemic God?" and uh, da 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 and all that. Whatever happens, He is going to bring about his plans and His purposes. So Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28. Anybody that passed through Highland Bark Baptist Church and Tennessee Temple years ago would be familiar with this purpose, or this verse, because... Uh, You know, like I've stated before, uh, uh, my Bible teachers and all, when I was coming through, that you know, I said you need. Well, when I first got to Temple when I was fourteen or fifteen years old, as a freshman in high school, moved from Indiana, uh, you know, you were supposed to come up with your life verse or whatever your life verse is, you know, and you were supposed to pick out your life verse. That was just a thing of course, I had reason to pay that, you know, like Galatians 2.20, and I also like Philippians 3.10, but I don't necessarily consider, you know, you want a life verse, just get in this book. You know, this is your life verse. But anyway, this was Dr. Robertson's, and if you ever had him sign your Bible or sign something, if people had him sign, he would sign his name, and then underneath it he would write Romans 8.28. But anyway, Romans 8.28. Just to get started. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, and it is conditional, by the way, to those who love God. And somewhere else in Scripture it says if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So if you love me, you will obey me. You will be obedient. You will act in obedience. So this isn't saying that everything that works together for all Christians. That's not what it's saying. And obviously we know that everything that happens to believers isn't good, but this isn't saying that everything that happens to all believers will end up being good. It says, all things work together for good to those who love God to those who act in obedience to Him. Or you could say, to those who walk by faith. And then we go on, to those who are called according to purpose. And in my translation here, in this Bible, is to NASB, it has in italics, His in front of it. But that's appropriate. It's not in the Greek text, but It's not all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to purpose, just to man's purpose. If you Googled, like I did, just for the sake of this message, if you Google books on the purpose of life, just generically, I mean the... I don't know, I, it was thousands upon thousands of books. I didn't scroll through all the different screens on the, on the Internet to do it, to find out how, what the total was. But. And that's somewhat, you know, in, uh, in man's way of looking at it, unregenerate man, you can almost excuse that because they're separated from God. You know, so they're out there searching. Not searching for the right thing, but they're out there Searching. But you can Google Christian books on the purpose of life, and you know how many you get? And I'm not picking on Rick Warren. Everybody, uh, you know, most churches, even at our previous church where we got here, during one part of the Brand Bible Seekers class that Mark and I had the privilege of co teaching for years, we were required by our church to go through the purpose driven church book. From Rick Warren. Okay? But it's not who's called according to just purpose. It's who's called according to his purpose. Not man's purpose, his purpose. So, what's his purpose? Genesis chapter 1, charge, if you want to go back and forth. We just stated that uh, the first flood was back way before man even came into existence on the earth when Satan sought sought to exalt himself and be like God. So that disqualified him to rule. Now, he's still ruling, as I mentioned earlier, because the type set by Saul and David, remember? There's two anointed kings right now over, over the earth, right? Satan and who? Jesus Christ. But Christ isn't currently ruling Christ is right now seated at the right hand of the Father in the place of power, interceding for us, just as Mark read before he prayed. Mark Summers earlier. Remember at that time, Saul, because of his disobedience, was disqualified to rule So God told Samuel to go and anoint another, David. But he didn't immediately take the throne and reign, did he? No, so at that time in the nation of Israel, you had two anointed rulers. And there's a lot of typology there, and we don't have time for all that because all the Old Testament's fraught with types the great Dr. dehan I should say, I don't know, no no men, men aren't great, but anyway, remember he's the one that did the, uh, Our Daily Bread that I think Ken reads out of sometimes in verses and stuff. Years ago, he sought out to start and do a word, a book on word pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. And he barely got started, and he realized that was a, Overwhelming monumental task. So then he decided he'd shorten it to Word Pictures of Christ in the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. And he only barely got started on that and realized that was impossible. So then he finally just came up with a book, Word Pictures of Christ in Genesis. And he said, Still, the book could not contain <laughs> all the pictures of Christ in Genesis, in typology. So if you don't avail yourselves of the study of types and antitypes, you're closing off a lot of this book to your understanding. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But his purpose, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Remember, Satan had been disqualified. He disqualified himself. Then man comes onto the scene in the sixth day. Remember? Genesis 1, 26, 28. We're all familiar with these verses. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Man was created to rule in the place of Satan who disqualified himself. The pattern was set in Genesis chapter 1 and God does not change. So what's my purpose? What's mankind's Purpose in general, God's purpose is to rule. So really the the question, what's my purpose, is a question that need not be asked because it's already been answered right here but yet we have thousands of books, even in the Christian Christendom realm, on finding your purpose in life. What's my purpose? Well, you should be asking, what's God's purpose for mankind in general, and more specifically for redeemed man? What's God's purpose for redeemed man? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. He said it in Genesis 1, and he's not going to change. So, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. We'll start in verse 9, we'll get to verse 10. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by grace of God he might taste death for every one. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory." to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. It says, for he, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So his purpose is still the same as it was in Genesis 1. He's not going to change. It says he's His pleasure was to bring all many sons to glory. And that sons in the Greek is weos. And we see in the New Testament that, you know, the church or the Christians are called children of God and sons of God. Both. And they're both about the same amount of times if the English translations translated the technon for children or weos for sons correctly, which they sometimes they switch them back and forth. But. And you would think those are pretty much synonymous terms, but the way that the authors of the New Testament epistles were led by the Spirit of God and the God-breathed Word to use them, they are not necessarily synonymous terms. Even though all Christians are sons of God, the way those two terms or two Greek words are used in the New Testaments, we will go to these different passages and we will see they are not synonymous terms. Just like the body and bride. The church is called the body of Christ. And the church is the bride of Christ. But the body and bride are not synonymous terms. How do we know that? Genesis chapter 1. Adam, the first man, was put to sleep, correct? His side was open. God took a rib out of his side and fashioned the woman. And then she was given back to Adam to complete him. And then Adam said, she, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So, the first man's bride came from part of his body. It would have been physically impossible for her to be all of his body, right? And remember, the anatype must follow the type in exact detail. So, the second man, who is Jesus Christ, the church is called his body but His bride will only come from part of His body. And those decisions and determinations will be made at the judgment seat of Christ because judgment begins at the house of God. But as we go out here saying Jesus is coming, people ignore you. But if we say coronavirus is coming, They go crazy. And they start going buying toilet paper up. We have the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. The type's been set. God brought man into existence to rule in the set of Satan who disqualified himself and his, the angels that followed him in his insurrection. And in Hebrews it says, the ages to come are not given to be ruled by angels, like they have since times past before man ever came on the scene. But God has many sons. Right? God has many sons. The angels are called sons of God because they were created by God. Adam is called a son of God because he was created. But men since Adam, after the fall, we're called sons of Adam. We're called sons of a fallen creature, right? So through procreation, because we're we're sons of Adam, but that doesn't make us sons of God. So we see you're a son of God because of creation. But now, currently, Israel is a son of God. How is that? Because God did a special creative act in Jacob. Now, that Jacob is the natural man. Israel, as Mark was pointing out earlier, Israel is the spiritual man. But God did that creative act, in Jacob, as you can read about in Isaiah and many other Old Testament passages, in the natural man. So then, because of procreation, that can be passed on down to all of his prodigy. So that's why corporately, all of Israel is a son of God, individually and corporately speaking. But then we see in the human realm that not only you have to be a son of God to rule, that's the way it's always been, angels are sons of God, but in the human realm, you have to be a firstborn son to rule. So we're talking about purpose today, and we're also going to talk a little bit about firstborn sons, and we're going to try to wind it up. just happens that i had a birthday last month in march i turned another year older and then in our family uh my brother-in-law my sister janine that we've been praying for you know because she has cancer he's a pastor up in fredericksburg virginia his name is mike reed and uh his, his birthday is a week to the day after mine. Mine's on March 18th, and then every, every year, obviously, is how that would work. <laughs> on March 25th, he turns a year older. Then as, as the things would have it, my son Jeff, Jeffrey Robert Smith, Jr., had a birthday yesterday on April the 11th. And then Mike's firstborn son, Michael Allen Reed, Jr., has a birthday, April the 18th, a week to the day after Jeff's birthday. So both of our firstborn sons were born in the middle of April around the Passion Week time and and the Resurrection Sunday, or what the world calls Easter time. And we both gave them our name, our moniker, you know. But... In the human realm, only firstborn sons can rule. And that's why Scripture is very explicit when it talks about describing Jesus Christ as God's first begotten. You see that in Hebrews. You see that in John 3.16. Right? Everybody knows that verse, right? Because in the human realm firstborn sons rule. And at this time, God only has two firstborn sons. Jesus Christ, who we just talked about, because of procreation, he's God's first begotten, and the nation of Israel, who is already a son, as we just said, but they're also a firstborn son because of the adoption. Romans chapter 9, you can read that, or Exodus 4. Remember what was Moses instructed by God to tell Pharaoh turn to Exodus chapter 4 That's after Genesis <laughs> Exodus chapter 4 verse 22 Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So Israel's is not just the son of God because of creation. They are a firstborn son because of the adoption, but you, we don't have time to run into Romans 9, but you can read it there later on. So currently Christ has, I mean, God has two firstborn sons, Christ and Israel. But here very soon, right here on the horizon, he will bring a third firstborn son on the scene. And that is the church after the adoption. See, the church are all sons because of creation. Remember, when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you became a new creation. In Israel, it was in Jacob, the natural man. For the church, Christians, it's in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. And because Christ is the son of Abraham, you're also a son of Abraham. And all the Abrahamic promises go down through the nation of Israel in a physical sense, and Jacob, and obviously the church, Christians in a spiritual sense, in Christ. He was given heavenly and earthly promises. But it's after the adoption into firstborn sons Status. So actually, in Christians, we'll, go, we'll have to, forgive me, we'll have to skip Romans 8. We won't go through all that in Galatians 3 and 4, but if you want to mark those down and do a further study, go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Because as normal, I'm running out of time. Romans 8, you'll see, yes, the Christians are called tech children, technon, and weos, sons, in the New Testament. But we'll see that they're only called weos, or sons. That, that Greek word for sons is only used in connection with the adoption. And you can see that in Romans 8. You can see it in Galatians 3 and 4. And in Romans 8, it's, it's done, in, it's, it all comes down to the same thing, but it's done through different, comes at it from a different direction. In Romans 8, you see that in the uh, contrast between flesh and spirit. Remember, those that walk by the flesh will die. And that's not taught about unbelievers. Just like the whole book of Romans is taught, wrote written to unbelievers, none of this book is written to the natural man. Does not understand the things of God because they are foolishness to him. And then in Galatians three and four, it's a difference. It shows a contrast between the law and faith. But it's not just faith in general, it's the faith. Because in, I think it's verse 26 and 28 in Galatians 3, when it mentions faith there, the law versus faith, it's articular in both of those verses. It's the faith, which is a terminology that's directly connected to the word of the kingdom. And in Galatians, he's just talking about he, has, he was speaking to the church at Galatia which was filled up with a bunch of Jews right, that had got converted and they were wanting to go back to the law. He said, you've been freed from that. Now you want to go back under the bondage of the law? And there's nothing wrong with the law the law and the faith and faith can't be separated. because faith, and we did a word study on Mark Zoom thing Wednesday night, but faith in the New Testament, faith and belief come from the same Greek root word. Faith being the noun, belief being the verb, which Mary, and I forgot to give you a virtual hug, Mary, if you're still on there. But uh, Mary pointed out, obviously faith is the noun. Believe is the verb. But really, the law is the word of God, was it not? And Israelites could walk by faith by believing the law and then acting in accordance. But he's saying there's a complete dichotomy between the law and the faith, the word of the kingdom. And when those Israelites got converted, they left their natural national standing as physical Jews, and became part of the new creation in Christ, which is neither Jew nor Gentile. So you can't bring stuff from the old over into the new, into the kingdom truths. They had left their earthly calling, going towards an earthly land, and became part of the new man in Christ who has a higher calling, a heavenly calling. Remember, our battle is in the heavenlies. Remember, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. Paul also, in another epistle, said your citizenship, which is really the Greek word politume, which we get our English word political from, Your political sphere of activity should be in the heavenlies, not being part of the government of this fallen earth. And then you see in Hebrews, he talks about the child training of his sons. And the word adoption is not actually brought into view here, but this is... Part of the fifth, in the context here, it's part of the fifth and final major warning in Hebrews who's talk about Esau. And who was Esau? He was the firstborn, right? And what did he do? He forfeited his inheritance. See, he was the firstborn. So even though the firstborn and adoption is not specifically stated in Hebrews chapter 12, and he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, that means consider, attentively regard him, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, as weos. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Son, weos again. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, weos. For what son is there who his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And there's that contrast between life and death. Remember in Romans 8, if you walk by the flesh, you will die. But if you walk by the Spirit, you'll have life. So God is going to bring a third firstborn son into existence here in the near future (laughs) after decisions and determinations at the judgment seat of Christ to see who has been an overcomer and who has been overcome. Because only firstborn sons rule in the human realm. And he will have three firstborn sons in that future day. Three being God's number, the divine number of perfection. He will have three firstborn sons to rule in that coming day, the messianic era. So if you don't take anything else, you don't remember all the rambling on, try to remember two things. Today. What's God's purpose? Not what's man's purpose or what man put in a book that's 200, 300, 400 pages long, but what's God's purpose that he put in this book? And secondly, is he dealing with you as a son? Or is he just dealing with you as a child? Because the converse of Hebrews 12 is through, if you don't allow the child training, if you don't, or if Paul phrased it a different way, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, in the converse, if you refuse to suffer with him, then he will deny you before the Father. You won't hear Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The suffering always precedes the glory. So just think on those two things. What's God's purpose? Because He said it in Genesis 1, and He does not change. And is God dealing with me as a son? Am I allowing that child training in my life? or if he's just dealing with you as a child. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and the ability to still come and proclaim your word and to open your word. The whole world might be under isolation, might be under some kind of constraint, but your word is not bound. Your word is not quarantined. So I pray that your word goes forth and that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.